Today's episode of The Overwhelmed Brain is brought to you by Casper. Visit casper.com forward slash brain and get $50 off select mattresses. It's a great way to get your sleep on. Terms and conditions apply. Are you annoyed by affirmations? Are you tired of that same old rehashed personal growth advice that all seems to boil down to think positively and all your problems will go away? If affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like denial, then I want you to get ready. The Overwhelmed Brain is here to help you create the life you want now. Hello and welcome to The Overwhelmed Brain. I am Paul Coliani, a personal empowerment coach. And this is the show where I read your questions and help you tackle life's toughest challenges. I want to help you increase your emotional intelligence, strengthen your self-worth and self-esteem, and empower you so that you can make decisions that are right for you. Everything I talk about on this show is my personal opinion and is meant for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a medical or psychological professional before making any changes that could affect your physical or mental health. All right, I'm going to talk about something that uh, comes across my desk a lot, and that is the idea of feeling uh, lovable. And you can also probably uh, stack on that worthiness, significance, important, although it's pretty much the same thing, whatever words you use that uh, you might tell yourself, like, I am unlovable, I am not worthy, I am not important or significant, I am not this, I am not that. All of these things can stack on each other and we can carry them around, especially if we have uh, been in a relationship where we were seeking that love and seeking that worth and seeking that importance. And um, when the relationship ends, we feel like we either never got enough or never got any. And so we leave the relationship feeling like uh, we're not lovable. I'm, I don't feel lovable. I was, why wouldn't that person, this is what I hear all the time. Why, why didn't that person love me? Why didn't that person see me as important or of significant value in their life? I hear that a lot. And it is something that I think a lot of us have dealt with. I mean, the one person that you really wanted it to work out with is now no longer there. So they've left or you left them because they just couldn't provide you what you needed. And so, like I said, what comes across my desk is, Paul, help me. I don't feel lovable. What do I do about this feeling? And um, I had to think about this one. This isn't an easy topic to tackle because this falls under the category of the grieving at the end of a relationship. So if you've been in a relationship and it ended and you feel bad because of the end of that relationship, then there is a grieving process, just like when someone dies in your life. You have to go through the grieving process. You know, it's interesting little side note. I was reading for a client of mine, I was looking up what it takes for a doctor to deliver the news of someone dying to the person's family. And I was doing this because he was working on facing people, giving them bad news. And I thought this would be a great uh, topic to discuss one day. It's like, how do you give bad news to someone? 
this today isn't the day I'm not going <laughs> to get into the how do you give bad news to someone, but I probably will in the future. But in general, the stuff I read was the doctors really aren't, or anyone in the medical field, really aren't trained, again, from what I've read, to give the news of someone's death. And it relies on their personality, their own references in life, and how they've communicated with people. It relies on their own personal social interactions and what they've learned in their life, not so much what you learn in medical school, unfortunately. So a lot of people in the medical field, especially new people that are, they're training to become whatever they've studied in school, and they don't have the basic skill of giving someone bad news. Um, not that they don't know it. I mean, they might. It depends on what they've learned in, in their life. But you don't learn something like that in school. You learn that from your interactions with people over the years and how to give bad news. Now, I could say that bad news is always better given when you've primed someone. So I wasn't going to talk about it, but I'll talk about it a little bit. When you give bad news to someone or when you're going to, it's best to prime them. It's best to tell them, I have bad news for you. If not that, then prime them with something that says, you know, the outlook doesn't look good. Or, I just want to let you know that this may not turn out the way you want it to turn out. This could be a way to prime someone for bad news. I personally look at uh, relationships and how we can relate to each other in giving bad news, which involves telling the person or priming them, saying, uh, especially when you have something to share with them that you don't want to share, uh, by saying something like, I don't want to tell you this because I'm afraid of how you'll respond or react. I think that's a great primer for anything major that you have to say to your partner is I want to tell you something, but I'm afraid of how you'll respond. Because what does that do? I mean, try that on. What does that do inside of you when I say, hey, uh, I have something to tell you, but I'm afraid of how you'll respond. When I try this on, I think, well, I better not overreact then. <laughs> I mean, that's where I go. I better not overreact because I don't want to make them right about me. This is a good thing. I mean, that's what you want if you're giving somebody bad news because you want to be able to give it and at least have, uh, hopefully, have some sort of conversation about it without them flying off the handle, which could still happen, of course. But it's a great primer. Hey, I don't want to tell you this because I'm afraid of how you'll respond. And uh, when I try that on, it's like, oh, well, I better not overreact. And I'll prove to them that I'm better than they think I am. That's where I go. And uh, even if I feel like having a major reaction, I'm still li less likely to have the original reaction that I would have had because of the priming. So what I call priming is a good way to bring the impact of their reaction down. I like priming. So this is what I read about the doctors or nurses or whoever gives the bad news is that they go out and say, okay, I need to prepare you for something or they'll, they'll do some sort of priming statement. Actually, I think the first thing they say is if the, uh, the family doesn't expect the person to die, like there's no lung or debilitating disease that the person's going through, and then it's sort of a surprise, like there was a car accident, and now the, a daughter or a son or a dad or a mom is in surgery and they're trying to save them, someone will come out of the surgery and to prime them, they're going to ask them a question, what do you know up till now? What do you know up to this point? What do you know that has happened? And what that does is get the family into a more logical place. It's still emotional, but now they have to think, okay, well, 
I heard there was an accident. I got a call from so-and-so. So they're retelling the events, and it, it can help with the situation, but the actual news of receiving word of their death is going to be anything from silence to an outward violent reaction. It could be any of the above. So the hospital staff does their best to do this priming. So this is really good information for you if you do any type of work or conversations with people where you have to give bad news to people. You find a way to prime them. You, you do your best to prime them. And another good way is just to imagine being them and what would you want to hear. Like I told my client, I think what I'd want to hear is, okay, there's bad news, but I have a solution for you. That doesn't work in the case where the hospital staff has to tell a family about someone's death. But in a lot of other cases, especially work scenarios, this is the bad news and here's the solution we'd like to work on. That's a great way to do it because if you're going to give the bad news, it's always nice to have something else to consider. In relationships, however, the bad news could be devastating. I know you're going to be mad when I tell you this, but I did this. And that could be the, the end-all, be-all of the relationship or it could be something as simple as, you thought I would get mad over that? I mean, that's what happened to my relationship. When I first moved in with my girlfriend, uh, she had real trouble expressing things to me uh, that she thought I would get mad at. So she would hold them in. And she would ignore me. And she wouldn't look at me. And I would finally go, what is the problem? And then she would say nothing. And then I would say, no, something's wrong. You have to tell me. And then she would finally you know, say it. You know, when you said this a month ago, I was, you know, that made me angry and I didn't know what to do with it. Oh, that's what you're talking about? And then we'd have a conversation about it and I would tell her, okay, next time just tell me what's going on. Even if you think I'm going to get angry because I would rather talk about it than have you hold on to it. So she agreed to that and that really helped our communication. It was hard for her to do that because she never felt safe to share things that made her upset. But now we communicate a lot more freely and it's a lot easier. But let me backtrack a little bit. One day she said, okay, you said it was okay if I told you something, even if you got angry. And I said, yes, absolutely. And she shared it with me. And I said, that's what you're worried about? Uh, you thought I said this? You know, I, I, I didn't mean for it to come out that way. I didn't mean to say it that way. Uh, that's certainly not what I meant at all. And uh, she realized that the imagined reaction that I would have was just that. It was imagined. It wasn't even real. Because we do that to ourselves. We imagine how someone will respond or react so we don't share with them. And often, the imagined scenario is not real. It's just something we made up. Sometimes it is real, though. Sometimes we are concerned about our partner's reaction. And when they react, we go, oh, I knew it. I shouldn't have told them. Oh, I knew it. If you've been listening for a while, you know I'm a full proponent of full expression even at the risk of the relationship ending. Because I want it out on the table. I want it to be tangible. I want it to be something you can talk about instead of hidden where it festers and creates other underlying problems in the relationship because you actually never talk about it. I need it out there on the table. I need it expressed so we can work with it. But let me get back to the point I was trying to make about feeling lovable versus unlovable, feeling worthy versus unworthy. I want to dive into that deeper coming up next.
I was sick all day yesterday. I had a great day before, but for some reason I lost all my energy and I could barely move. All I wanted to do was sleep, but that meant foregoing all the emails I had to do and recording this show and other important tasks that I do every week. But in order to have energy tomorrow, you need to rest today. Rest I did, and I'm so grateful that I got to rest on a Casper mattress. We've had our Casper going on three months now, and it has proven to be an amazing work of engineering. Casper combines multiple supportive memory foams in their mattresses that provide a quality sleep surface with just the right amounts of sink and bounce. Of course, during my illness, the last thing I wanted to do was bounce. <laughs> but I tell you, having that perfect sink only in the areas I needed made my illness just a tad bit better than what it could have been. Yes, I was still sick, but the comfort and firmness of our Casper mattress allowed me to rest and sleep easily. Don't you want just a little bit of extra comfort when you're sick? I know I do. Casper is affordable because they cut out the middleman and they sell directly to you. They offer a no-hassle return if you're not completely satisfied. That's right, if you aren't satisfied for any reason within 100 nights, they'll pick it up for free in the U.S. and Canada. Take advantage of their sleep on it trial and feel secure that if this mattress isn't for you, they'll pick it up so you don't have to worry about a thing. Delivered in a how-do-they-do-that sized box and over 20,000 reviews with an average of 4.8 stars, Casper is my favorite mattress and is becoming the internet's favorite mattress as well. I want you to experience why that is. Visit casper.com forward slash brain and use the promo code brain during checkout to get $50 towards select mattresses. Whether you just want an amazing night's sleep or you need to get an extra bit of comfort while you're not feeling so great, get yourself a Casper. Casper.com forward slash brain. Use the promo code brain to get $50 off select mattresses. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back. Let's keep talking about uh, where we left off, which was the feelings of unworthiness, insignificance, unlovable, because it's important that we get to the bottom of this so that we don't have this false belief that we carry around with us. I don't want you to have this false belief that you're unlovable. It's a false belief. So with that, let me just ask you this. If you've ever felt this way or you feel this way now, about someone specific in your life. Let's just think about someone in your life that you did not feel they loved you or you didn't feel worthy with them. And if you can come up with someone, a lot of people can, uh, then did you define yourself as unlovable and unworthy and insignificant or one or any of the above because of that one person's perspective? Did you define yourself from that point on because of that single person's perspective? That's an important question because if you say yes, then I'm just highlighting that you are defining a lot about you. You're defining a whole bunch about yourself based on the perspective of one person, a single person that has his or her own problems, his, his or her own dysfunctions, his or her own issues in life that they have yet to heal from or are dealing with or need some help in and they don't even know they need help in. Or maybe they don't need help. Maybe they're not dysfunctional. 
maybe they just had different tastes. Maybe they had a different perception of what attraction is because we all do. And depending on who it is, some people get attracted and then unattracted and then attracted to someone else and then unattracted. And they have this vicious cycle that plays in their mind that really messes with their relationships because this is who they are. But when you define yourself based on who they are, you are misidentifying yourself. You are creating a false perception of yourself and you're coming to believe in that perception because it's based on one person's take on a partner. If they even have a take on a partner, their take on a partner is, I want to control you. When I can't control you, I'm not attracted to you. I mean, think about the perceptions that you define yourself through others' eyes. Because when you do this, you are limiting the definition, the identification of yourself through their perception. And that is so damaging. When you have this external reference for who you are, for your worth, for your lovability, for everything. When you see yourself from someone else's eyes and judge yourself from their eyes, you automatically limit yourself and you set yourself up for major problems in your life, especially depression, sadness, um, fear of abandonment, fear of rejection, all these things that combine into a, a very dangerous cocktail for being unhappy as you go through life because you are relying on other people's perceptions of you to feel happy. You probably heard me say this before. When you rely on someone else to fulfill you and that person leaves, where does that leave you? It leaves you unfulfilled. When you rely on someone else to make you happy and they leave, where does that leave you? It leaves you unhappy. And so that's why a lot of people, including myself at one point, when I was single, when the person I was with left me or divorced me, that I went into a place of, oh, now I'm unhappy. I don't feel loved. I don't feel worthy. I don't feel fulfilled. Um, the only way to get this back is to get into another relationship. That was my belief system. And probably millions of people out there, they have a belief system that I cannot be happy unless I am seen through someone else's eyes as lovable, worthy, and significant. And I'm here to say that when you do this, you set yourself up. It's a dangerous game that you play yourself to have a belief that your worthiness, your lovability, your significance comes from someone else. And I understand why, though. We are born into that. We are born into we must feel the love and support and warmth and everything from our parents. When our parents bring us into the world, we want that loving motherly mom and that caring, supportive, loving father. And we are hardwired to rely on this because if we don't feel that, then some primal fear kicks in and we think we're going to go hungry. We think, we think we're going to be left behind in the clan. You know, this is old caveman thinking. And if we're not loved, then we'll die. I mean, there's some very old programs running around in us that are very much equated with 
uh, love and feeling lovable and feeling worthy, but they are based, in my opinion, on survival. It's like I can't survive unless I'm loved. So we have this old program running that says, if I'm not loved, then I can't survive. Because if I'm a baby and I can't take care of myself, then I won't be able to get through life. I'll go hungry. I'll get taken away by a predator. I mean, there's all kinds of things that could happen. And we have these programs running that if we believe that, which we do, when we're born, we want to be loved. That's why neglect is a problem. If we believe that not being loved means that we won't survive, then of course we're going to have stronger beliefs that when we get into relationships that we can't be happy without love. This could get very convoluted, but I'm going to keep it simple by saying this. When you get into a relationship and you start relying on someone else's perceptions and definitions of you, and you start believing those perceptions and definitions, and then you do what you can to change someone else's perceptions and definitions of you, you're wasting a lot of time. I hate to say that, it sounds harsh, but when you try to change someone's perception of you, you waste a lot of time. It's, there's, there's nothing you can do to change someone else. They have to come to change on their own. All change is self-initiated. Even if you have an intervention with someone and you say, you need to change, you need to stop drinking, you need to stop this, you need to stop that, and they do change, it still has to go through their own filtering process where they have to commit to the change. The filter kicks in and goes, well, am I going to do it or am I not going to do it? That decision-making filter. When you have to convince someone and they go through that decision-making filter, they're less likely to keep the decision they made. When they come to it on their own, like, you know, I've had a rough life and every time I drink, my life ends up like crap. I better make a change. When they come to that decision on their own, it's more likely to stick. So that's why it's almost impossible to try to change someone else. And in the context of what I'm talking about today, if you were to try to change someone's opinion of you, like, why don't you love me more? They won't love me as much as I want them to love me, or they don't see me as lovable, so I'll do more so that they can see that I'm a lovable person. And I'll do more so they see I'm important, that I'm worthy. If I do more, if I say more, if I do the right things, if I do everything they ask, they'll see that I'm more than they think I am. And if that's your purpose, to try to get them to change their mind about you, I'm telling you, it's, it's a waste of time. And it's also damaging. I'm not going to say in every case because sometimes you are in a loving relationship where the person does think you're important and doing some extra stuff for them is considered healthy relationship behavior. So if you want to rub their feet one night and that's something you don't normally like to do or want to do, but you do it because, you know, it'll make them feel good. That's different than uh, wanting to rub their feet just to show them that you're more important to them than they think that you are. This is my personal opinion. I don't think you should waste your time trying to convince anyone how lovable, worthy, and important you are because it's already built in. It's already intrinsic. It's already in you. You are all of those things. The problem comes when we rely on one person to define that in us. When we rely on someone outside of us to define that in us, to define that about us. That's where the challenges start in our life is that we're looking through someone else's eyes at us. Now, let me just say that when you have 
this perception of yourself through the eyes of someone else. You need to consider the source. Now, the source is the person that you want to feel more loved by, that you want to feel more worthy with, uh, is maybe an ex that you have questions about, like, why didn't they love me? Why wasn't I lovable to them? Why wasn't I attractive to them? Why didn't they stay with me? Because if they didn't stay with me, that means they didn't love me. We make up all this crap. Sorry, I'm a little harsh, but we do. We make up all this crap. I must not be lovable because they didn't stay with me. I'm not putting you down for feeling that way. I've felt that way. And a lot of people still feel this way in relationships. I have clients that feel this way. But I'm laying out the groundwork of a baseline for you so that you can understand that if you feel this way, there are compelling reasons not to. <laughs> I know it's not that easy, but I'm giving you some compelling reasons not to feel this way. Because when you, and this is where I'm going with this, when you consider the source of how you're defining yourself, you need to know that the source isn't a good filtering mechanism for who you are. Because if they were unable to meet your wants and needs while you were in a relationship, for example, if it was an ex, then I want you to consider their credibility, their reputation. I want you to consider the source and ask yourself if they are a credible definer of who you are. I don't think I said that right, but you know what I mean. If they are the ultimate number one source that defines who you are, how lovable you are, how worthy you are, how important you are, are they the ultimate source? Did they go to school to learn what makes someone lovable, what makes someone worthy? That's a little bit of a stretch, but you know what I mean. You need to consider the source. And on top of that, I also want you to consider, is your criteria for feeling lovable, for feeling worthy, for feeling important, think of your criteria. What does it mean to be lovable? What does it mean to feel worthy? What kind of behavior do you need to see in order for you to feel lovable? If you say, well, if he or she always hugs me when they come home, if he or she makes me dinner every now and then, if this, this, and this, you have a certain set of criteria. Again, it's externally based. You are looking at someone else to define how you feel lovable. I'm not saying that's a problem. I'm saying this is what we do. This is how we determine our baseline and where we go from there. Because if we have a belief system that you are only lovable if someone else loves you, not a problem. I mean, that's kind of the, the way it's defined. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But why does it have to be that single person that defines it? Because I want you to, like I said, uh, think about the source. And if it were someone else that loved you, but you didn't love them, would you still qualify as unlovable? I mean, think about that for a moment. If someone you know, for example, uh, you weren't attracted to, you didn't want a relationship with them, but they really loved you and they found you worthy and important and they really wanted to be with you, would you still consider yourself unlovable, unworthy, and insignificant? Because if you do then you are severely limiting yourself, again, to a single person probably, that you decided was going to be the ultimate judge of who you are. Because if you can't even consider someone that you don't want in your life, 
when they see you as lovable and attractive and worthy and all that stuff, then what you're doing is limiting people that can love you. So this is a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's a self-perpetuating, self-fulfilling prophecy. When you limit how lovable you feel to one person and other people find you lovable and worthy and important, but you don't consider their thoughts and perceptions and feelings towards you as part of you being lovable, then you're limiting those who can love you. You are. You are just saying, I don't care if the rest of the world loves me. I only want that one person to love me. And that defines if I'm lovable. Again, that's a dangerous game to play with yourself because you're telling the entire world that you're not lovable unless that person loves me. That will make you sick. That will make you ill. That will cause you to crawl into a hole and die. Because now this one person that will probably, who knows, never pull through has all this control on your happiness. I need you to get out of that grip. If you're in that grip, I need you to be out of it. And you get out of it by seeing that there are over, what, 7 or 8 billion people on the earth that have the capability to do the same thing. But you may be limiting it to one person. And that's scary. Because if you think that one person that doesn't love you means that you're unlovable, it means that you've just shut out the rest of the world and you've closed the door on any future love because you have a reliance on someone else and you want that one person to be the person that loves you. It's hard. I know it's hard. It's hard to lose someone, especially someone that you wanted a life with. But I also want to remind you that when that person doesn't want to be with you, or is unhealthy for you, or is toxic to you, that relying on them to feel happy is inviting unhappiness back into your life. Because it would be great if we can just say, I want that person to love me. And they did, and they came back and they loved you, but they were as dysfunctional as they were before, if that was the case. Or you can ask the question, well, if they loved you and found you worthy and supported you and they found you amazing but they cheated every now and then, but they still loved you and they still found you amazing, would it be okay because now you are lovable? Run that through your brain. I mean, there's a lot of people out there going, no, absolutely not. That's not loving. Yeah, but if they met all your criteria, what is your criteria? Come back to that question. What is your criteria for feeling lovable, for feeling worthy, for feeling important? What is that criteria? And if someone you love met that criteria and was in your life, and let's just say they didn't cheat. Let's just say that they really had their heart poured in to the relationship and wanted to be with you at all times, but they only kissed you once a week or they only hugged you once a month. What if they limited other things? Would you still feel lovable? Your answer is probably no. Mine would be, which means you need to know your criteria. What is your criteria for feeling lovable? And then run these questions by, let's just say that you had all of your criteria fulfilled and the person of your dreams or the one that you want to fulfill that criteria shows up and now you're in the best relationship ever. But then for some reason, they fall out of love with you. They just decide, you know, it's been years or whatever and I'm just not attracted to you anymore. They've met my criteria and now they're not attracted to me anymore. Are you going to have a solid enough platform to fall down when you grieve over the relationship ending if they were to leave. 
or if you were to break up or even die. If they were to die, that would be awful. So we need to look at what we've built for ourselves so that when we do fall and we do have to grieve, where are all of our dependencies? If our sole dependency on being lovable is from one other person and that person leaves, then what do we have left? Where do we fall? How hard will it hurt? It hurts a lot. And I know it does. I know you know it does. It hurts a lot. So my point for this whole segment is to help you realize that lovability, worthiness, your value, your importance starts in the heart and expands from there to anyone that shows you that. Yes, I know there are people out in the world that don't get that from anyone else. But if you're listening to this right now, I know that you're lovable. I love you. I know it might sound weird for some people to hear that, but I do. I love you. I want the best for you. I think you're amazing. I think you're important. I think you are worthy. And I know I'm not alone in this. So even if you don't know a single person out there that finds any of these qualities in you, now you do. So now you have no excuse. <laughs> we'll be right back after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank our sponsor, Casper. Go to casper.com forward slash brain and use the promo code BRAIN during checkout to get $50 towards select mattresses. Terms and conditions apply. I also want to thank the patron members. Patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com is a great way to support the show. If you're getting value from this show, if you're receiving guidance in your life and you want to give back, go to patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. It's not all about paying me back. <laughs> but if you want access to private episodes, workbooks, e-coaching, and more, go to patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. Thank you, patron members. I appreciate you. And if you'd like another way to support the show, of course, the donate button on the website and the Amazon button on the website at theoverwhelmedbrain.com. Feel free to use the Amazon button every time you shop. I believe it's now an international button, so anyone outside the U.S. can also use it. I still think it's select areas, but try it. <laughs> Tell me what you think. Go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com, click on the Amazon button anytime you shop, and we get pennies on the dollar for everything you buy. It helps support the show, and I appreciate you if you're using that button. And if you're not, I still appreciate you. You don't have to do anything. You can just listen and learn and heal and grow and evolve. And that is something I'd love to happen to you. And I want to tell you about the mean workbook. MEAN stands for Manipulation and Emotional Abuse Number. That's right, this workbook evaluates your relationship to find out if and how much emotional abuse you may be experiencing in your relationship. can be quite surprising. Uh, once you get the evaluation, you'll be like, wow, I didn't know this was going on. Now I understand what's happening in my relationship, so I don't have to feel so confused. Because I don't want you to feel confused in a relationship. Relationships are actually supposed to be easier. <laughs> it's supposed to be a partnership where you can feel like equals going toward the same vision of your future so that you can live a life together in harmony, holding hands and whatever you do, just going forward and being happy. I want you to be happy in a relationship. There's no time in this world to be unhappy. 
in your relationship. So if your relationship is a little bit more difficult than it should be, and you want to find out why, go to loveandabuse.com and check out the Mean Workbook. Maybe it's right up your alley. And finally, I'd like to thank Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in The Overwhelmed Brain. And I'm going to read you an email uh, that inspired this episode, uh, not only because it inspired it, but because there's also another question in it that I want to get to. Uh, this email is someone that reached out to the show before. I called him Brad then. I'm going to call him Brad now. And Brad writes, Thank you for everything you do. You recently helped me find the strength to leave a very toxic relationship. Not sure if you remember, but my ex was browsing personal ads on Craigslist. You read my email on the show. Hearing you speak empowered me so much. I just want to let you know how grateful I am for you. Brad, this is so good to hear. Thank you for sharing this. You know, I don't like to promote breakups. <laughs> so don't get the wrong idea. But Brad, thank you for sharing this. Um, this isn't the entirety of the email. i got to read more of it. But uh, I just want to say I'm so happy that you got out of a toxic relationship. Those are the kind of breakups I usually endorse. If they're toxic and you've tried therapy, you've tried counseling, you've tried coaching, you've tried podcasts, you've tried self-help, you've tried working with each other, and it's just not working out, and you're more unhappy than you are happy, then maybe separation is the next step. So, Brad, I'm, I'm glad you got out of that relationship. But he goes on to say, Recently, I've been thinking about my ex a lot, and it's interfering with my daily life. I feel as if he never actually loved me, and he just wanted the title of a good-looking partner. Not trying to toot my own horn, he says. He also wanted to have someone pay for everything, and sadly, I fell victim. Now that our relationship has been over for months, I'm still hurting. I don't miss him at all. I'm actually thankful for the opportunity to learn and grow and create new personal boundaries. But it hurts to think that he never wanted me for me. He wanted me as a blank canvas to make me into whatever he wanted. I remember the straw that broke the camel's back. He told me that if I follow my dreams and my choice of career, he would leave me if I weren't making over a certain amount per year. I should have seen it sooner. I should have known that he never loved me. Now that it's over, I remember all the memories that I brought with me to this day. But the whole time, it was conditional love. Funny I say that because I feel as if my parents showed only conditional love when growing up. Am I doomed to fall into conditional love forever? I don't think I am. Because I met someone who I really admire recently, although I'm having a really hard time accepting or developing feelings for him. It's as if I'm one of those people who don't believe in love. I'm not sure where I'm going with this, but thank you in advance for your time reading this and your response. You're a gift to everyone you meet and speak to. I mean this. Sincerely, Brad. Brad, thank you so much for your words. I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm grateful that you shared this with me, and I'm grateful that you think that way about me. And I want to say this. I have bad news. <laughs> so now let's get into the bad news. The bad news is, um, unfortunately, you are doomed to conditional love. Now let me just say that right off the bat, but I'm not going to leave you there. We're all doomed to conditional love. I shouldn't say doomed, but that was the word you used. Yes, we're all doomed to conditional love. The only type of person that can show conditional love, I mean, I'm really exaggerating here, but let's just think about it this way. I was just talking to a client about this the other day. I said the only type of person that can show somebody unconditional love might be a parent that loves their child so much that the child can do anything. He or she can kill a thousand people, but that's my child and I will love my child until the day he or she dies. 
that is unconditional love. That means no conditions whatsoever. I mean, if that child were to do something against that parent, that might change things. But I've seen so many instances where even when the child mistreats the parent in some way, the parent still loves the child because that's my child. So I've seen more unconditional love in a parent-child relationship. But to see unconditional love in a partner-to-partner -partner relationship, I rarely see that. I don't claim to have that. I have conditions. I, I hate to say it. I have conditions. I think most of us do. Maybe we don't want to admit it. But we do have conditions. Those conditions, those are your values, those are your standards, those are your criteria for what makes a perfect relationship. But the good news is you have conditions. The good news is when someone starts misbehaving, you know that they are going outside of your conditions. You know that, hey, they're breaking a value. They're violating a boundary. They're hurting me in some way. And this relationship is based on the condition that that person's not going to hurt me. Your last relationship was conditional because you eventually said, I got to get out of this relationship. So I know what you're talking about. I'm not saying that I don't understand what you mean. I'm not going to leave it at that. I know what you're saying. You're saying you want to get to um, less conditional. You want to get to a point where uh, the person you're with can show you more love and support without having all of these factors involved like you better make over a hundred thousand a year you better not gain any weight you better not uh, go bald you better you know all these you betters and uh, I won't stay with you if you're this this and this and some of these conditions make more sense than others when someone says well you better make a certain amount of a year that might make less sense than someone saying well if you start smoking since I'm not a smoker and I don't want to smell smoke, then I can't be with you. Even though that might still be in the range of, well, can you accept this person or not? Or if they start drinking heavily and they pass out every night, there's a better example. And you don't want to be with someone like that. Uh, will you have the unconditional love for them to stay? And I don't really believe that's unconditional love because sometimes... When you stay with someone who is doing behavior that's unacceptable to you or toxic to you, then staying with them enables that behavior. It shows them that they don't have to be accountable for that behavior and they can continue doing that behavior because there's no reason to stop. Well, you know, I get mad and I get sad and they should stop because I'm feeling those things. That's not enough accountability. They're not going to stop if you're feeling those things because you're still there. This is the person who stays in a toxic relationship. You're still in that toxic relationship. So why bother leaving? If I drink and I pass out and I uh, smash your favorite vase and I smash the TV and then the next morning um, it's all cleaned up because you cleaned it up because you knew I was too drunk. I'm using drunk as an example because that's my childhood. This is what I had to deal with from my stepfather. Uh, but you get the idea if someone stays in a relationship where the other person is being very toxic the person that's staying with them I don't see that person staying with them as an unconditionally loving person because unconditional love means loving yourself unconditionally so if you're gonna look at unconditional love and if you're doomed to be in conditional relationships from this point on 
the unconditional love part starts in you. I think it's almost impossible to love your partner unconditionally. This isn't a show about religion where you're supposed to love everyone unconditionally. doesn't matter how much they sin or anything like that. This is a show about what we deal with in real life and how difficult it is to love someone unconditionally. I'm not saying religion isn't real life. I'm saying that when you have real life things that, are, that you are faced with in the moment and someone does something that you don't like, that could be a condition and that is healthy. That is a boundary. That is a value. And when this pops up, yes, the bad news is we are in conditional relationships. And the good news is we are in conditional relationships because you create conditions for the environment that you want. So when you feel like you're in a relationship where those values are being violated, boundaries are being violated, your partner's doing things that you don't agree with, when you're in that kind of relationship, you talk to your partner, say, hey, I don't like what's happening. We need to talk about this. Or you say, hey, I feel a certain way and I would like to talk about my feelings. That is a healthy relationship request. I want to talk about my feelings. I want to talk about my emotions. Um, when you can't talk about your feelings, your emotions, your thoughts with your partner, then you're more likely to be unhappy in your relationship. So Brad, where I'm going with this is with you, set up conditions. Do it. I mean, you don't make the conditions that you don't want. You make the conditions that you want. And when you're with someone, you say, you know, I don't know if uh, I even know love. I've defined love as, you know, supporting the other person's happiness. Supporting your happiness means accepting your conditions and honoring your conditions. So if you are with someone who accepts your conditions, honors your conditions, supports you in every way that you appreciate and just shows up authentically and wants you to be happy, you're going to feel something. You're going to feel safe. You're going to feel more comfortable. You're going to feel more trusting. And if you've never experienced what real healthy love is supposed to feel like, maybe because your parents couldn't show you, they, they couldn't figure out how to do it because they were never taught how to do it or they were brought up in a dysfunctional situation, who knows. But if you don't know what love is, let me just say this. If you're feeling comfortable, safe, trusting, trusted, and supported, that's pretty darn close to love, if not love itself. So if you don't know how to define it, then break apart love and what you would like love to look like. Because it's true. I mean, my girlfriend never really understood love for a long time. And she still has to learn what it means in her 40s because of her childhood situation, because of her upbringing, because of her bad relationships. What does love really mean? Because I've been in, in so many bad relationships. What is love? So I'd like to think about if you've never experienced what love is, to think about what you'd like love to be. And then put all these parameters in place, your conditions, for someone to meet. Because if these people don't meet those parameters, then you have every right to stand up and say, hey, look, there's a problem. We need to talk about it. And I need you to be comfortable in your own skin saying this and stating what you want in the relationship. Because here's the thing, you're not going to be able to satisfy everyone. Everyone's not going to be able to satisfy you. Yes, there'll be compromises. Yes, there'll be little sacrifices in relationships that you want to keep. But never sacrifice and never compromise in a relationship 
that isn't a benefit, that isn't of value to you. Never sacrifice or compromise for someone that doesn't love you. Again, break down love that doesn't make you comfortable, that doesn't make you trusting and trusted, that doesn't support you, that doesn't want you to just be happy. That's the best kind of relationship when you find someone that really wants you to be happy. What can I do to help you reach happiness? Because if you don't know love, you have to use all these other things. Because love is the breakdown of all these things that you want in a relationship. And I want you to be aware of all those things. And if you're not aware, start writing them down. Because you'll want to know how you define love so that when someone violates one of these conditions, you can say, that's not love. That doesn't feel right. And then you have to be, and this is the last part of this, you have to be willing to risk the relationship for your conditions. It doesn't mean you become a tyrant and say, nothing is changeable. I will never back down off of any rule. <laughs> I don't think that's a good idea. I think it's a good idea to talk about things. And as long as you have a partner that can talk about things, because that's important too, if you don't have a partner that can't talk about things and your partner says, there's nothing wrong in the relationship, it's all you. I need you to be really careful in those kind of relationships because if you can't share something with your partner, guess what breaks down? We talk about love, comfort and trust and support and wanting your happiness. If those break down, suddenly you're not comfortable. Suddenly you don't feel like you're in a trusting relationship. Suddenly you don't feel safe. These are all the components that make up love. And if you don't feel those things, then it's hard for love to exist. So, Brad, I'm telling you this because I want you to be okay with the thought that when you're with someone, they may not meet your conditions. Now, when they do meet your conditions and you still feel unsafe and you still feel uncomfortable, which can happen because good people get into great relationships, yet they still have their own baggage, this is the time to talk. This is why it's so important to have a partner where you can say, I am so scared to be comfortable with you. And a healthy partner is going to say, Really? Why? Why would you be scared to be comfortable with me? An unhealthy partner, well, I shouldn't say that. A partner that has his or her own baggage might say something like, What? You shouldn't be scared. What's your problem? That is a scary response. Because someone who's being vulnerable and sharing and expressing him or herself doesn't need that kind of response. They need the kind of response of, Wow, let's talk about this. Tell me more. What's going on in your life? What happened? That's the kind of relationship you want. And if you're not in that type of relationship, then I need you to apply your conditions. It's okay. I think conditional relationships are great to keep you healthy and safe and happy. And if you can get to that unconditional space, more power to you. Just don't mistake it for enabling. <laughs> Just don't mistake it for I love this person so much that I will go down with their sinking ship as they hurt themselves and me. That's not unconditional love because you're not loving yourself enough to get out of the toxic situation or at least seek help in some way. And if the help doesn't help, then getting out of the toxic situation. So I am grateful for you, Brad. Thank you so much for writing this. You may have some stuff to work on still, but don't think that your past has doomed your future. You just have to find the level of love that makes sense to you, that you can really connect with. Because sometimes you may not know what love is, 
but you almost always know what makes you more comfortable, more safe, more trusting and trusted, and more happy. But no matter how you define love or how you define happiness or what you think a good relationship is, just always keep an open mind so that you can step into your power. That will help you to be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing. Amazing.